0: This is Kent Anderson, and you're listening to the Urban to Country podcast.
1: Welcome to the Urban to Country podcast, where we talk to outdoor enthusiasts about life, hunting, and how to make everyday epic. Hey guys and gals, welcome back to the Urban to Country podcast. On this week's episode, I sit down with Kent Anderson. Kent is a pro staffer for Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls and is an experienced elk hunter and elk caller. He is going to teach us how to talk to elk this week. Uh, In addition to that, Kent is just a straight-up good guy, a father, and a good husband, and there's a lot to learn from this fellow. So I'm glad that he came on this episode and shared some of his wisdom with us. I'm here with my good friend Kent Anderson, and we're going to talk about elk hunting. I'll have Kent introduce himself since he'll probably do a better job of it than me, but Kent is an accomplished elk caller and elk hunter and pretty much hunter in general. He's killed a lot of stuff, so Kent, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and anything you, you think they might want to know?
0: Uh, yeah, uh, my name is Kent Anderson, as he said. Um, I don't know if I go so far as an accomplished elk caller. <laughs> um, I have definitely spent the last few years um, specifically trying to chase elk around. Uh, grew up in the northwest corner of South Dakota, and I started there. Um, age of 12 was when we could first hunt. Um, I actually started younger than that. I would go out with a good buddy uh, of mine. Um, we'd actually get up 3, 4 in the morning, make breakfast, and then we'd go shoot birds and rabbits and stuff in his nice. tree rows. And at that time, I was maybe eight, nine years old, so we kind of thought we were big deals and (laughs) getting into this whole hunting thing. Um, And as I look back on it, it's funny, because I had talks with him when we were in high school. We spent a lot of times ice fishing and chasing coyotes in the winters, and kind of got to the point where we were talking, and wouldn't it be nice if this was our retirement, this what we ended up doing? And eventually, I hope that's my goal, is I could spend my days ice fishing and, and just chasing coyotes and other animals. Um, so I grew up there and graduated high school from Lemon and eventually went to college for a little while. Um, in that time period, I I hunted a lot, um, started out with my dad, was one of my main uh, people that I would go out and my brothers would come back in the fall and we'd hunt. And I would South Dakota is a lot different than Montana in the fact that our rifle seasons were pretty short, essentially had maybe three weekends to get it done, uh, three weeks, usually we hunted weekends, and we did okay, um, and then I eventually moved out to Montana, I've been out here since 2006, um, I previous to that I ended up going to college for a little bit, out in the Miles City country, and moved to North Dakota in between that, and then I started uh, working law enforcement out in Montana, about Uh, fall of 2006 so that first fall all I got to really do was hunt does I hunted a whitetail doe uh, that first year Um, 2007 kind of the same thing kind of just getting used to um, the hunting seasons in Montana ended up shooting uh, two by two really old buck it's probably still one of my favorite deer that I ever shot Um, it was just a a older deer I want to say he was probably 10 years old Big-bodied deer and just a big two-point. And I was out with my brother, Todd, and he asked me if I wanted to shoot him. And I said, absolutely. And so ended up getting that one. And then from 2007, things started getting really good. Um, I picked up archery hunting when I was really young. My brothers brought me a bow home. I think they were coming back from a bear hunting trip in Minnesota and bought me just a small compound bow. And that's I first time I really got started archery hunting. And from there, I kind of just, I didn't take it too serious until about 2009, right in there. Um, 2008, I was lucky enough to draw an elk tag um, in eastern Montana for rifle. And so I shot a real nice bull that year, and I have not put back in for rifle tag since. I've just been archery hunting since then. Nice. And so from there, um, I was out in the southeast corner for, what was it, I 06 to 2013 and then 2013 um, I got hired on out here in Helena and moved out here and kind of started to learn the western part of the state a little more than the eastern part Um, totally two different areas the way um, I've hunted out here is different than than really I hunt out east um, in some aspects some aspects it's the same but but definitely different um, in its own respects Um, I really enjoy the center of the state um, out by Lewistown. I like hunting out in that country. Um, and so I've had a variety all across the state, but I've concentrated mainly on archery elk. That's where my main focus has been. Um, I always enjoy chasing big mule deer and big white tails. And then one of my other favorites is archery antelope, yeah. uh, which is coming up
1: here. In not too long. No, not too long at all. So and you just got one of the new Matthews bows, right?
0: Yes. Yeah, so I'm shooting the halon 32, picked it up last year and have been blown away. Um, i can tell you from the first bow i bought i couldn't keep that thing tuned it shot terrible and more inexperience on my part rather than i would say um i'll never blame my equipment but to see where that is came from so i started out it was a golden eagle oh it was a carbon gold i believe if i remember right i don't even i don't think i've ever even heard of that they were an old company uh they're no longer around that i know of um so that's the first one I started with, and then I bought an old Browning, um, I bought at Shields, and it was a used bow I picked up for like 75 bucks, and that thing shot well. Yeah. Um, and then from there I got into, I think it was 2009. I had kind of decided I wanted to get more serious about archery, so I went bought a brand new Hoyt um, over in Billings, and from that point forward I've been hooked. So I shot that bow for a while. I uh, shot a different white. Now I'm into this this new Matthews, and it's been spectacular. To see how far archery's come just in my short amount of time, I can't imagine the guys that were shooting recurves and longbows way back and then transition into the, the compounds that they're shooting now. Um, it's been unreal. Technology in archery has made it able for somebody to go in buy a bow go out to the range shoot out 60 yards and go hunt the same day Where before it was not like that
1: no it's yeah it is incredible and I haven't I've been hunting way less than you have but I think about my PSE that I bought when I started shooting and that was a good bow I mean there was nothing wrong with that bow but I have the the halon 32 as well and the difference in those two bows just in a five-year period is mind-blowing you know what what we keep doing and we're going to talk about calls in a little bit but i'm assuming it's probably the same thing and in calls the technology and the jumps that we're making as as time goes on is mind-blowing you know with with the technology and calls um
0: company that i help out is rocky mountain hunting calls which is owned by rocky jacobson and you know sitting down and talking to him the last few years um from what they started with um you know they would talk about a piece of coiled uh, copper tubing, <laughs> you know things like that and and the way they used to do it, and the elk would answer that um, now with the way diaphragms work and tubes, those elk have gotten smarter, I believe, and makes it a little more difficult so um, when it comes to elk hunting, you kind of want to be all the way well rounded you want to be in good shape when you're um, you 're out you want to be able to call you got to be able to shoot your bow um, if you stick to just one area and you're the best caller in the world but you can't shoot your bow really doesn't work out so i think the more you can get well rounded um, the better off you're going to be but um, as far as calls what i found with rocky mountain honey calls i never really elk called and the first one i picked up was the mellow yellow uh, the cow call that they have and started working on that and i had turkey called with a diaphragm for years and really enjoy turkey hunting, but it's easier for me to take my elk call and make a turkey call rather than take my turkey call right. and make an yeah. elk call. Um, they're they're totally two different things, but um, I have found with the Rocky Mountain hunting calls that made it a lot easier for me.
1: Yeah. So, how did you get into calling? Was it somebody that introduced you, or did you just say, "Hey, this is something I should learn"? Or where did that start for you?
0: So it. First started I had a buddy that came out from South Dakota wanted to shoot an elk. And so I had never called before. Um I went with my two other brothers and they took us out. And I was late getting down there, I had to work, finally got some time off, and they had been in three or four days prior to me getting there. And the first elk I ever called, um my brothers had called for us and they were leaving camp, so it was just me and my best friend Steven. He had come out. And so I had one of the Primos, I'm trying to remember which one it was. It's the double reed. Um, it's, it imitates two uh, cows. Okay. Really. And so I grabbed that one and kind of just in camp, before we went out, started blowing on it, and started actually making a few sounds. And thought, all right, I'll give this a shot. So um, got down to our last day, and both of us were tired. It had been a long few days. We woke up. It was kind of raining and it was windy. We're contemplating, do we even go out? We're both spent. Should we just spend the last day kind of just relaxing? Yeah. And we both kind of looked at each other and said, no, we need to go. And so we loaded up and pick up, went out, uh, hiked a little ways and looked out. And there was nine cows and calves. And so I said, we got to go. So we dove in below them. And keep in mind, I had just blown on this elk call the (laughs) night before. So I really don't know what I'm doing. And so all of a sudden I start just making a bunch of sound with it. And pretty soon I can hear him answering. And so not a bull with him, which we found odd. Um, but they came right in. Lead cow comes in. And he's got a shot at about 47 yards. And knowing him, he would have taken it. And so, <coughs> uh, excuse me. Uh, he waited a little bit. And I, right at the same time he was hoping I'd call, I did. And this cow came right in. He got a shot at 17 yards and ended up hitting her little high and back. And so this was the first elk I ever called in, and he gets a shot within 20 yards. That's it was cool. Unreal. And I was hooked from that moment. Um, I would say that was the time I figured out that I need to start chasing elk. This is a blast. This is the time of year I want to be out. Um, and so that's where that concentration to elk has kind of
1: came from. That's but, cool. Well, that reminds me of something in one of the many conversations you and I have had about calling. Something that I think you said to me one time was just to not overthink it. Just like, you, you know, you got to practice and you can't sound like crap, but don't overthink it too much. And that takes me back to the first year I tried archery cunning. and I had one of the Hoochie Mama push calls from Primos. And I called in, I mean, probably eight different bulls. It was all in 380. Because yep. naturally that's, that's, works down there. that's the way it works, but I I had no idea what I was doing. I was just calling with this little push call and and called in a bunch of bulls. And I think I think yeah that for me that would be one of the the keys is just not to overthink it. Yep. When you first go out, just go out and, and have fun and just I mean see what happens. Oh, you're you're exactly
0: right. If you try and overthink what you're doing, which you kind of want to have an idea of what you want to do, in that you want to sound like a herd. You want to sound like multiple elk. If you go out there, you have one call, and that's it. It makes it a little bit tougher. It'll work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the hoochie is a prime example. It kind of just makes one sound. Yeah. Um, but it works. Yeah. And it's worked for a long time. But I can tell you, if I'm out, I can tell that sound. If it's oh, another yeah. hunter, you can kind of pick up on that. And so I have found what works for me is being as diverse, having the, as many sounds, and getting emotion into it. But at the same time, you're exactly right. Don't try and overthink it because you're going to basically throw yourself off. I did that last year. Um, I had uh, Rocky Jacobson came out last year and hunted with me, which was a blast. Um, I learned a lot just in that week with him and Rex. Uh, One of his good friends also came out. But we had, he has a style of hunting that was a little different from mine. Um, I'm more, I would say, standoffish. Where I was, I'm getting more into the more aggressive hunting. Yeah. Um, And so I kind of would stay back and try to get the elk to come to me. When he came out, what we were doing is we were calling, and we were going after him. And I'm thinking, man, we're getting close to these elk. And sure enough, (laughs) we're basically walking into elk, but it's working. Right. And so at at one point we're, you know, we get a bull to answer. And so we're getting closer, and we're getting closer. And pretty soon he's within 100 yards, and we can see him. And so they go down and get ready and set up for a shot while I stay back and call. Well, I started overthinking things and <laughs> got in a hurry, and I could not get my diaphragm in my mouth. Oh, and so they're down below me kind of looking back like, what are you doing? And here I am choking on my diaphragm, hoping this all <laughs> comes together. And, it, and ultimately, it didn't. It was a, a, a nice probably 340 bull um, just off by himself with three cows. And so that one didn't end up working out, but that was one of those yeah. times. And there's been other examples last year, first set um I shouldn't say first set, like our second set of calls. um I'm standing there, and I got two of my friends came out, they're out in front of me, set up, and I'm calling, not paying attention like I should be uh kind of have my bow down, not really at the ready, and I look up, and there's a bull standing there at twenty five yards. Oh my gosh, this was our second set into the hunt, and uh. it had rained the night before. And so most of the areas where I normally go, you can at least drive a little ways. And I said, no, we're not going to tear the roads up. Yeah. Let's let's hunt from the road. We hiked in, and sure enough, we got into them. Um, but always be ready, um, whether it's the first day or last day. I catch myself all the time the last day. I'm wiped. I've been away from home, away from my kids and my wife. I'm ready to get home. Yeah. And that's usually when it happens. Yeah. And I'll let my guard down, and, and I've missed opportunities doing that. So... That's the other thing I'd say is be ready uh, at any time because it's going to happen quick.
1: Yeah, it happens so quick. That that was one of the things that was a real learning curve was how quickly things can go from absolutely nothing happening to, oh, crap, there's a bull, like you said, at 25 yards, and my bow's over here, and my release is over here, and I get to do some nice wildlife watching, and that's about it. (laughs) Yep, which in itself isn't bad, but (laughs) you always kick yourself for missing those opportunities. You sure Uh, do, Yeah. Uh, So how did you get connected with Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls?
0: Um, I started out, my wife, um, I used to live in Coal Strip. And so Montana Decoy was based out of there. Um, Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, owned by uh, Jerry McPherson. And so she ended up getting a job there, which worked out for me, um, getting to know Jerry and the company. And so I had never really seen myself working for any hunting companies. I had never really thought of it. But um, as she was working there, There was the elk camp down in Vegas. And so we went down there with the company, sold decoys and things like that. I ended up running into Rocky and Michael Batisse and some of the guys down there. Um, I remember talking to Michael. I don't remember talking to Rocky, but um, after I got hooked in with Rocky Mountain Honey Calls, um, they kind of had an opening on their pro staff team, and they had an application process, and I had to be able to uh, essentially do a seminar shortly and then um, ended up getting selected. Nice. And so um, from there, ended up going and doing a seminar. The first one I did, it was me, Rocky, um, Michael Batiste, Christy Titus, and James Walcott. And so a pretty good group to be a part of. Yes. <laughs> um, very good people. Very humble. A um, lot, lot of fun to be around. Uh, just in general, very, very good people. And so I went down there, helped out at that one um my knowledge compared to theirs was little and so it was essentially i'm up in the front with them but yet i'm still in the crowd yeah kind of soaking everything in and so yeah from there i've gone and done um a few shows here and there um i've been at the western hunting expo with them um i missed this last year but i was down there the the year before um, and I'm sure you can attest, if you ever get a chance, go to that show. It's, oh, a yeah. it's, it's an awesome time.
1: It's a really good time. Yeah. yeah. And from there,
0: I've done seminars at a lot of the local sporting goods stores um, and other places. So,
1: You know, when I was down there, I ran into Rocky, and I, I asked him if he could help you with your calling a little bit. Yeah. And he, he, he said he'd give you a few pointers. <laughs> 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 I will take pointers <laughs> from him all I can get. Well, and that's a probably a good segue. So, um, maybe talk a little bit about who Rocky is. Cause we've mentioned him a couple of times and, and the, I guess the evolution of the, the company, cause in my, in my opinion, I've tried, as I've been learning how to call, I've tried a bunch of the different calls and I don't, I'm not paid to say this at all, but you guys make a really, really great call. Um, it's easy to use. Um, it has a really good sound and there's a lot of good options. So I, I really like your calls, um, but I think there's a lot of people who might not know who the company is, or maybe they've seen them in the stores, but they don't know the history. So maybe tell us a little bit about the, the company and, and kind of the background, the evolution of where you guys came from.
0: Gotcha. Um, the company's based out of Cami, Idaho. Um, and it was started by Rocky Jacobson. Um, I believe it started right around 1993, and one of the first calls was the pallet plate. Um, that came out then, I believe Raging Bull might have been one of his first, which is still around and a fantastic call. um I called quite a few bulls with that one actually last year um, and from there, it ended up going to the plastic domes and then to the t s t and um also the tubes. I think one of you know there's the old monarch tube, which was a lot bigger tube, everything seems like it was now going to smaller now. Between the threat and then the whoppity whacker that came out last year, Um, he's always every time I seem to run into him, he's got something new that he's working on. The guy is an unbelievable inventor, yeah. Um, Very knowledgeable when it comes to diaphragms, how they work. Um, If you ever get a chance to just sit down and talk with him, he is a wealth of knowledge. And the thing with him is, he'll take the time to work with you, Mm. he'll take you know, if there's a group of people and Just ask him, hey, I'm having trouble with this, and he can probably correct it in just a few minutes. Uh, Going to uh, shows with him, it's really fun to watch him with kids because he can get these little kids to blow on diaphragms and pick it up in no amount of time.
1: That's cool. Um, And so the pallet plate, if I remember correctly, that was like a big step forward in the, the evolution of diaphragm calls because for what what was the what was the big step forward that that made possible?
0: Well, if you look at a traditional diaphragm, they're usually flat. Mm-hmm. There's no top on them and they go way in the back of your throat. And so a lot of guys that I'll talk to, they'll say I have trouble cuz I'm always gagging on them, they're hard to blow. And those diaphragms work, you know, a flat diaphragm. With the addition of that pellet plate it moved that call forward and more right behind your top teeth. And it fits more comfortable. And for me, what I found, it made it easier to call on. And the other thing you'll find is um, the different sizes. You know, uh, people come up to the booth once in a while and wonder, well, what's all the colors mean? Well, all that means is there's different sizes because not everybody's palette is the same size. Right. I'm a very narrow palette, so I use a lot smaller call. The one I really started learning on and kind of fine-tuning my calling was the mini master that's designed for generally for youth and women well i have a narrow palette and that fit in their best and gotcha. kind of helped me learn how to use that latex um hitting those high notes coming off of them yeah. and then from there i've been able to to use a lot more the real wide frames i have trouble with they just don't yeah. fit me well
1: yeah and i have trouble with the wide too i'm having like a if i remember correctly i a pretty just standard size mm-hmm. palette um so for everybody listening what we're talking about when we say diaphragm there are these um what's the material I forget what it's, uh, it's made out of it's like a it's a tape yeah that it's goes like over
0: it and you can trim them down on some I don't trim yeah. mine down um I don't want to say athletic tape but something very similar to that
1: yeah so it's like a, a like a half circle of athletic tape pretty similar to that and then in the in the center of there there's a section that's latex just Think of like a rubber glove latex, and that's stretched real tight. And on a traditional call, um, that latex will be open, and as you blow across that, you stick it in your mouth, and as you blow across that, you can make different sounds, create different pitches. Uh, what we're talking about with this pallet plate or, or dome, it looks kind of like a dome. There's a dome that goes over that latex, and uh, there can be ones that aren't split. Rocky's got a style where that dome is split. And what that does is, Ken, I'll show you here in a, a little bit. Is that lets you create different pitches and different tones. And for me, what I like about the palette plate is that it gives me consistency. Is I'm putting it in the same place in my mouth every single time. And really, guys, like if you if you want to think about this, really all you're doing is you're learning to play an instrument. Just like if you learned how to play a flute in school or or whatever musical instrument. This is really just kind of like learning how to play a, a musical instrument. So if I butchered anything, Ken, stop me. But no, you're. <laughs> You're spot on. Yeah. Um, a lot of what you'll find with like the,
0: the tone top or the plastic ones with the slit, what that also allows is you're going to have air going over the top, which comes across the latex. The goal when you're blowing on a diaphragm is you want to direct that air across that latex. Um, you try to keep the air out of your cheeks and just down the latex is the easiest way for me to explain it. Um, the hardest thing I found with a diaphragm starting out was making a sound. Um, and a lot of that comes down to your tongue pressure. If you can get your tongue pressure figured out, um, and, and just stick a high note, you can start working on going from high to lows, which is going to be your cow calls. Um, you know, with your bowl sounds, you're going to start low with a growl into a bugle. Um, you know, as far as the preference on the plastic or the metal frame, I really don't have a preference, um. The ones that came out last year are the two that I used probably more than others. I also used the the Raging Bull, but the uh, Reaper and the Black Magic were my two go-to last year. The Reaper, I found that I like the, the bugling a little bit better than the cow calling, and the Black Magic, I really like for cow calling.
1: So the Black Magic is this black guy with the like brass Yes, dome? it's actually
0: a, a gold anodized okay. frame.
1: Um, and then... Is this guy the reaper? Yep, okay, and the so. reaper is the blue one
0: with the gold top. Okay. And I th- believe it's those two in the Raging Bull are um, licensed. I can't remember which ones are through RMEF. So, okay. Um, they've also, um, you know, conservation-minded, Yeah, have worked with RMEF, and some of the profits from those goes back to the RMEF. So. Well,
1: and you guys have sent us here at the Montana Wildlife Federation. You've sent us some, some stuff, too, and you, you're – phenomenal supporters of conservation which is another bonus i mean i think most hunting companies have some kind of element of conservation but um, i found that rocky mountain hunting calls really does a good job of contributing back which is i i mean that's a huge bonus for me when i'm looking at what to buy Mm -hmm. um so for somebody starting out what would you recommend getting started with
0: um the easiest way to i could start out is find something that's going to fit you okay Um, I always have people come up, what's your favorite call? Well, that may be my favorite call, but it might not fit you the way it should. And you might have to use one of the wide frames. Mm. Um, So that's going to be, I would say kind of the first thing is find something that fits you correctly and you'll be able to tell, um, if they're too big, it's, it's hard to keep the air across the latex and it's just uncomfortable. And if you have too wide a mouth and it's too small, it's just going to move around in there and not be comfortable. And so once you find that fit, and it might take, you know, four or five different diaphragms to kind of narrow that down. But I, at the same time, I like to have three or four different ones that I'll use. Right. Um, so fit is going to be number one. And then it's basically going to be putting it in your mouth and trying to make a noise. Yeah. That, for me, took a couple weeks just to get a noise out of it. And it's different with. I could I could call on a turkey diaphragm just fine before I started out calling. For me to go from a turkey call to an out call, I struggled. Um, it took me a long time to get it figured out. And so once you get that fit and you start kind of monkeying around with them, and you're getting that a little bit of sound out of there, you're getting close.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, once you can say get to a high note like I was talking about and hold that, you're there. If you can hold a high note, I think you're going to get it. Um, And then it's just a matter of learning tongue pressure. So the way I like to teach people is I'll have somebody get up to a high note and just hold that, and then you just slowly take your jaw down. Don't take your tongue off the latex. Just take your jaw down a little bit, and pretty soon you'll start feeling that that lower note. Mm. And then, you know, start slow. Don't try and rush a call. Just take your time with it and do that 15, 20 times where you're hitting a high note just slowly going down to a low note. And then you can start picking up the speed, and pretty soon you're cow calling. And like I said, uh, bugling's a little different. You're going from low to high, and so then it's just doing the opposite. Um, One of the hardest parts is doing chuckles and grunts and things like (laughs) that, and I still struggle with that. Um, But if if you can do that and have that as a whole system that you're running you'll be successful at elk calling um if the rut's going and the time is right yeah you can honk the horn they're probably gonna come (laughs) Um, but hunting public land where everybody else is it can be tough and hunting in wolf country it can be tough um i haven't hunted in wolf country a ton but i know it does sometimes quiet them down yeah so and that that can be just be tough all around
1: Last year I was out and I was, uh, it was a rainy, foggy day and I was out with a buddy, went to a new area, never been before and hadn't heard that there were wolves. Um, recently, like historically, yeah, there, there's wolves in this area. Uh, we got up, we hiked up to this really high vantage point. I let out a bugle. We listened, let out another bugle and this wolf howls back. I was like, well, shoot. Yep. And it was funny, too, and, and both of us still aren't sure if, if it was just our imagination with the fog and, and whatnot, but both of us could have sworn we heard something turn and kind of crash through the trees. And, you know, you never know, but we kind of wonder if maybe there had been an elk headed our way, and then when you heard that wolf howl, he turned and took Would off. not surprise me. Yeah. And so. when you
0: hear that, it's probably good to find another area because yeah, they're just tough to hunt around.
1: We we left and uh, we were pretty disappointed. He was up from uh, Utah. He'd never been hunting before, and that was so. Actually, for him, he's like, "Oh my gosh, that was incredible! You had an elk, you had a wolf." I'm like, "No, that's not so great, but cool. <laughs> I'm glad you glad you had a good time."
0: You know, I've had people come out and hunt with me, and that's always my worry is is the goal to kill an elk? Is the goal to be out and just have a good time? And what I have found the majority of the time. The people that have gone with me, they don't care if they get an elk. And it's hard for me because they're spending a lot of money coming from out of state. And I feel a lot of pressure on myself to make sure and get it done. And, you know, prime example was, I can't remember what year he came out, but my brother-in-law came out from California. And my whole goal was to make sure he got an elk, whether it was Mm -hmm. a cow, calf, bull, it really didn't matter. And we ended up getting into elk. Further back we went. And... It was our second-to-last day, and I finally got more and more aggressive, which I'm getting more aggressive as each year progresses. It seems like I, when I first started, I would sit in one spot and call and hope they'd come.
1: Right. Now yeah. I'm
0: going to them. But at that time, I finally said, I'm not worried about blowing the elk out. It's time to go. And so mid-afternoon, I let out a bugle and instant answer. And so went in there, kept pushing into them. Pretty soon I look up, and there's a bull standing at 50 yards. And I'm like, okay, now what do we do? So I slowly grab my decoy, tried to, you know, kept kind of just giving cow Cal calls. And he stuck around for a good amount of time, which was kind of neat to see that what we were doing That's was cool. working. And eventually he blows out of there. And you know, I'm like, this might have been our only opportunity. <laughs> We'd been in there for like six days. And at the end of it, he's like, that was awesome. He says, that is what I came for. And at that point, I'm like, all right, this is This is awesome. When I can get somebody to come in and that's all they want, I'm more than happy to take people out like that. That's cool. And so.
1: it's very cool. And that's nice, too, because it kind of reminds you that you don't need to, you know, put something on the ground every time you go out for it to be a successful experience. Yep. And I find that more and more every year.
0: As I'm getting more (laughs) experienced, I may not feel my tag, and others might not either, but it's going to be a good time regardless. Yep. And that's ultimately what it's come down for me. I don't care if I harvest anything. Um, At this point, if I got friends coming in, I'm more than happy to sit back and call. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did last year. I think I spent $18, 18 days calling. That's all I did. And being the caller at the same time, like I said, you got to be ready because they're yep. coming to you. Yeah, and that's the other tricky part I found is knowing where your shooter's at and being able to bring that bull to where the shooter is. Um, if you can get that nailed down, I think you've got it, and you're going to be very successful. And so I'm still working on that part.
1: What's your your mindset on that? What do you? What's your strategy?
0: Wind is probably going to be number one. If I can get guys out in front of me where I can get that bull to come in. And they have to wind them first before me, so I want that bull to come in and has to wind the shooter, because I want to make sure they come in front of them, not trying to get my wind. Gotcha. And so that's for me has been the biggest part.
1: Okay. And I hear a lot of guys say, you know, hundred yards behind the the shooter. Is that for you? Is that a hard and fast rule, or are you pretty flexible with that? I'm really flexible on that. Um, I may be 20 yards behind him
0: yeah um, I might be 70 yards behind him um, last year I was across a ridge um, while they snuck in I had a bowl that would not come out of the area that he was at and so I just stayed across the ridge and called and he would answer back and it allowed my shooter to go up and try and sneak in on him gotcha never was able to pull it together so I don't have a set way I guess the hardest thing for me is when I'm standing back calling, I want to be able to see the shooter. <laughs> and a lot of times I'll lose sight of them, and I don't have an yeah. idea what they're doing. So that comes down to the people that you're hunting with. You need to get to know them. You need to understand yeah. um, when I'm calling, they know what I'm doing. And when I'm the caller, I know what the shooter is doing, what they're anticipating. Um, you kind of work in unison, and once that gets down, it starts becoming a little bit easier.
1: You know. Yeah, I... In the limited time I've been hunting that's what I've settled on is that having a hard and fast rule isn't very effective because every situation is different if you're not you, if you're not constantly adapting something's going to going to change that you weren't ready for and so if you're if you're stuck in that wall I got to be 100 yards back or I gotta be 50 yards back heck maybe you need to be like right over that guy's left shoulder calling I mean who who knows every situation calls for something different and if you're if you're stuck in a mindset that I have to do this same thing every single time. I mean, there are guys that get it done that way, but f- from my perspective and in my experience, being adaptable is way more effective.
0: It is, yep. Yeah, uh, And there's times where I'm generally bugling. I don't do a lot of cow calling. And I think that has backfired, not, not a lot. Um, I've had more success bugling, um, but there's been times... Um, I can think of one exact example last year where I came in and cow Cal called and I had a bull answer immediately, and I knew he was coming, and so I did what I normally would do and I bugled and it shut him down. If I would have kept cow Cal calling, would that have brought him in? I don't know for sure. Sorry um, to I say, may, exactly. I may never know, um, but I try not to stick to a specific call series or do the same thing. I'll change it up. Um, we had one last year. I just did a south cow call, and I bugled, and we were probably, we got lucky on this bull because we, we decided we were going to go in early um, after lunch. So we took a lunch break, came back in, sitting around, just, you know, visiting, having a good time, and it was 2, 3 in the afternoon, and we finally got up and said, all right, let's give it a shot. So we walked 100 yards, cow called and bugled, and we had a bull within a minute Came in, and my buddy shot him. Oh, wow. (laughs) And so we weren't quite ready for that. Um, The one buddy was setting up. He hadn't even really got his bow set up yet. Jeez. And I was watching. They both sat down. I said, all right. And I called, and he was there before we could even think. And it was kind of neat because I could see both shooters, and my buddy Matt that ended up shooting this bow, I was able to watch him the whole time. My bow was next to me, and... I never even grabbed it because I watched him draw. I watched the bull come in, and this bull was aggressive. As soon as I did a location bugle, he was coming. And he answered me right away, so then I threw out kind of just a quick challenge, and he answered right back, and I threw another one right back at him, and I think Matt ended up having a 35-yard shot at him. Dang. And to watch the emotion that came from him, it took me probably 25 minutes to a half hour to calm him down. Uh, he started screaming right away, and I'm trying to whisper, tell him you need to stay calm, because I figured the bull didn't run that far. No, probably uh, not. That bull didn't have a clue what was going on. Um, but he's he's in tears, he's crying, and he's just a wreck. He's screaming and shouting, mm. and I'm, you know, Matt, you need to stay quiet. That bull's right there. He's going to run off, and he did. Yeah. Uh, you know, the bull ended up taking off on us. <laughs> And he made a, mm-hmm. a pretty good shot on him. It was, It's funny watching people's reactions because after he shot the bull, I kind of came up to him. I said, how far was it? And he's like, he had to have been 50 yards. And then I asked him another couple minutes later, I said, how far was your shot? He said, oh, he's probably 25, 30 yards. And so and his, his mind was running so fast, yeah. he didn't have time to think. Um, hit him far back, uh, and we ended up tracking this bull for a while, lost blood, and that's that's my worst fear is losing blood. If you lose blood on an elk, it, it gets really tough. Yeah. And so we finally just started gridding, and we got to a point, and you know, my buddy Steven's down below me, and I'm like, I can smell something. He's like, yeah, I can too. And I said, well, stay where you're at. I'm going to come to you. I come down, and I got within about 10 yards of this bull, and he picks his head up. Mm. And so he was still alive, and I just you know dumb me I left my bow yeah to go look for him (laughs) and so at that point I knew something was going to have to happen good in our favor because it went downhill really fast and so he went and got mad he got his bow I sat and watched the bow while they were coming up he finally laid his head down and he was so stoved up at that point we gave him you know an hour and a half before we started going find him I didn't know how good the shot was I had Matt screaming and yelling, excited about this bull, and he was big. He ended up, he was just under a three hundred and fifty bull. Oh, wow. Um, Matt had never shot an elk before, and I think it was three days prior, I called a spike into him, and had I had a shot on that spike, I would have shot him. Um, I had him at, I think, 30 yards, and he was just quarter and two. I had his front shoulder, and I had no shot. Yeah, And so then... I had my brother who was out there with us, and that spike came into 20 yards broadside <laughs> to him. And he had drawn a rifle tag in that area and ended up passing on him. And so that, that spike worked back to me, didn't provide me a shot, and then worked all the way around to Matt. And Matt had a 30-yard broadside shot. And so I always tell people, if you have a cow or a spike and you want to punch your tag, I said do it because yeah. they taste awesome. Yep. And... He ended up passing. I said, why'd you pass? And he goes, well, he said, you passed on him, so I figured I probably should too. (laughs) And I said, you're going to kick yourself. And I said, that might have been our only opportunity. Um, And it ended up working out. He killed a fantastic bull. And um, two days later, we go back into the same spot, and I call one in for Stephen. And where you're saying, you know, do you stay 100 yards away? I was within 25 yards of them. They Mm -hmm. were set up to where they were going to have the wind. If the bull kept coming, he might win them, but I might get a shot too. And he ended up that bull would not move from where he was at. And so the old way I used to do and I say old way, I've been doing this too long, but I would kind of hope they would come to me. I could get him to answer, but he just was not moving. And then pretty soon he's throwing his bugle. What I mean by that, from what I could tell It seemed like he was walking away, but I think what he was doing was just turning his head. And Mm. the way the wind was, was throwing us off. And so we just started going to him. I'd call a little bit, he would answer again. And then eventually we got close enough that he got tired of us. And I had never seen an elk do this, but when he came through the trees, he had bristled up like a whitetail would coming in for a fight. And I explained what had happened to Rocky. And he goes, what they do is they'll come in and they get defensive. And so they'll try and look really big and Uh-oh. wait for a bull to come through and hit them. <laughs> and so that bull came right in, and Stephen ended up making a great shot. Um, he ran, you know, 80, 90 yards and tipped over. Wow. And so That's the shot went awesome. I off. Could, I could hear him coughing. I knew it was done. Yeah. And so it wasn't long after that he, he had tipped over. So that one went a lot quicker than Matt's. But <laughs> uh, two awesome hunts. I was so glad for those guys. Um I'd be lying if I didn't say I was a little bit jealous. Um of course. it's it's hard yeah. not to be. But I couldn't be more proud of those guys the way they handled everything. Um you know, packing everything out, it was fun.
1: That's cool. Good yeah, man. Good uh good calling. That's that's pretty awesome to be able to call in two quality bulls and get them both on the ground. That's it, pretty neat. Yes, I uh
0: you know, I like to think I do okay at calling. Um but as I've watched myself in the last, it's been just under 10 years, um, it's coming together. And, you know, after this last year, my brother said, it's your turn. And, you know, it may be my turn. It might not. I To me, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, as long as I'm out there with family and friends having a good time, that's what I'm there for. Um, I generally take a week to two weeks to go elk hunt, and that's my time. That's my time to get away from everything and just go relax. Yeah. Um, I go where there's no cell service. I can't make a call, can't make a text, and it is awesome.
1: That's pretty sweet.
0: Um, in today's world, it's good to get away from that stuff.
1: Oh, absolutely, for sure. And with that attitude that you have about it just being about getting out there and having those experiences, you're always going to have a good you're always going to come back feeling like it was a worthwhile, good trip because with that attitude, you can't lose. If it's just about being with friends and family and being in the outdoors, you already check check that box. You you achieve that and everything else is just gravy. And yeah, I, I try to have that same attitude when I go out because I mean, sometimes you do get wrapped up in the, oh man, I want to, you know, get my biggest buck or my biggest bull ever but i found that when i start thinking like that then then i start thinking you know oh this didn't go right or oh man when do i get to go home but if it if i can switch my mindset and just think man i'm here with my good buddies we're having a great time in the outdoors then everything else is gravy so I, uh but it would be nice to shoot a big bull yes <laughs>
0: i think i think everybody has that mindset you know my my goal every year when i go out is I want to shoot a good six point. Mm. You know, that's my ultimate goal. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't, that doesn't make the trip for me, but that's my goal every year. I want to shoot a good six point and more often than not, I'm not filling that tag, but um, one of the best years I ever had was back in 2010, I never filled a tag, but I spent eight days and elk and there was one day that i didn't get into which is usually the opposite i might spend six or seven days and get into one group of elk and have to make it happen that trip was i was calling giant bulls bull after bull i had a um, biggest bull i've probably ever had my eyes on and i never did get him to come in but I spent three days on that bull closest I got was about 70 yards in thick timber that I couldn't see anything but I knew it was him because I had heard his bugle for four or five days and then mid-afternoon I s- <coughs> excuse me sit on some water and this was a lesson that I learned that don't sit in the ground blind mm. or if you do be prepared to get out and go quick um, it was mid-afternoon I said I'm going to go sit on the water see if they come in and I had just a small little open reed cow call, and I would blow on that. Um, at that time, I can't remember if it was a Sorry, cure.
1: real quick. So the open reed ones are the ones that you stick in your mouth and you just kind of bite it's down on blow. Pressure. Yep. Yeah.
0: all Yep, Kay. exactly, a bite down call. Um, and so I was using that, and I have a bull instantly answer. Okay. And I'm thinking, well, it's way too early for him to be bugling. but. And that also has made me change that. I probably shouldn't go to camp and take a break. I could just hunt all day. Right, yeah. Um, and ends up coming out. I had him at 140 yards, and then it's wide open to me. And he, he never did come in, but he was a nice 350, 6 by 6 That's and cool. he was that far away, and I was already shaking. <laughs> and so I sat for another, you know, 25 minutes and another, like, 340, comes out same spot. And I end up just soft cow calling, and he runs on a dead sprint at me. And I'm like, here we go. And he got within about 80 yards, just starts feeding, and he got my wind, and it was done. And so I'm sitting there another hour, and I hear something cough behind me. I'm like, what the heck? And so I look out my back window, and there's five cows in a nice six-point, probably 300-inch bull. Oh, man. At 20 yards. Oh. I had his cows inside of that, and I'm still kicking myself to this day why I didn't just shoot a cow. Yeah. Um, but I wanted that bull. And they ended up came around never did get a shot and ended up just walking off. that was all within an hour and a half dang but that i heard i don't know how many bugles and i watched you know a big six point at that same water the day previous chased a cow in and then jumps in neck deep and is swimming out in this water gets back out and starts chasing the cow again but those are the things that you know, every season there seems like something that sticks out. That season, there was a lot of things because I was just into a lot of elk. I got out of the pickup, and the first five minutes, I hear a bugle, and I'm, my mind goes, "Ah, oh, it's another hunter." Well, oh, yeah. it wasn't. It was a bull. <laughs> and me being naive, I didn't hunt him. And so, I've learned a lot. Um, you know, when it comes to to elk hunting, and I failed a lot, and eventually it's all going to come together. Right. And each year keeps getting better. So I'm yeah. excited for this year. We're almost there.
1: Oh, man, so close. So uh, speaking of this coming year, so I've got a elk tag that starts, uh, shoot, August 18th. Um, what do you suggest for people that are hunting elk early like that? Because that's pretty early. That's pre-rut. And for those of you who are wondering what the rut is, that is basically the time where the, the elk are are mating, and it's a little easier to to communicate with them then just because they got other things on their mind. But I'm probably not going to be able to do a ton of calling like we've been talking about, just because they're not real vocal that early. What are your What are your thoughts on what my strategy should be? You
0: know, I I could remember living out in Coal Strip and and west of town. There was always elk, and early on like that, what I was finding is I would see these bulls coming out into the fields feeding towards evening and they were like whitetails it was like clockwork they were hitting the same spots all the time Um, and so I would say that's a very good tactic if you can get up in glass uh, where you're at and you can start pattering those bulls pretty soon you get their pattern figured out you go in and try and get on a trail get them where they're coming through and that's probably going to be more successful than calling. I've never hunted them that early, so I can't it's speak to experience, experience on that. But, um, And you said August 15th?
1: August 15th. Yeah. yeah.
0: It's it's going to be tough then. Uh, it's going to be hot. Yeah. You know, that's one of the big downfalls is the heat. Um,
1: yeah, and I've got some, some friends sending me some uh, waypoints where, where wallows are at. So that's going to be another. Yeah, water's
0: going to be huge. I would attribute it to maybe hunting them like antelope, you know, yeah. hitting those water holes, sitting on water, um, and waiting. And wallows are going to be huge. They're going to be bathing in that stuff. And that's, yeah. that's a prime time to get in on them.
1: Any, what are your thoughts on just doing some real kind of casual cow calling? Just see if you can get them to come in out of curiosity or, you know, pique their interest and make them wander over. It's never going to hurt to cow call. Yeah.
0: Um, elk are constantly talking. Um, so it's definitely not going to hurt to throw out a cow call. You might have, not that the bulls are looking for cows yet, but you may have some come wondering, you know, what are they doing over here or Mm -hmm. come looking. And and I use that a lot of times when I'm, quote, unquote, cow hunting. Um, You know, I've had people ask, well, how do I hunt cows? And that's what I do. I basically cow call, you know, kind of act like a lost cow, making quite a bit of sound. Um, And I've had good luck on cows that way. Now, with your bulls not necessarily looking for cows yet, it may be good, too, though, yeah. to be in on those water holes yeah. and just a cow call now and again. And they may start bugling early, too. The yeah. rut seems to be off these last couple of years where it's been – seems like it's late, but then it's early. You know, guys are having successive opening weekend in Montana, and later on it just – it's been weird.
1: Tries up, yeah. Well, and that's – I mean, that's kind of what I'm going to have to do. I'm going to have to go down there and see what's happening because you just – you don't know until you get down there. Do you
0: have people that are down there looking already for you? A
1: little bit. I've got um, a buddy down there who used to guide in that area, so he sent me, like, a bunch of different spots to go check out. But actively people on the ground scouting for me, no, it's going to be very much so run and gun and figure it out as we go along. It's not a bad thing. No, it's not because I, I feel like we're going down there with kind of like a clean slate and we're not going to go in with any preconceived notions of what we should or shouldn't do and we're just gonna we're just going to go hunt. So it'll be fun. It'll it'll be and that'll be archery. It's gonna be archery. Yeah. archery only. So soak it up. And it ends September fourteenth. So I mean, that's like just barely into the rut. Are you
0: going the whole month?
1: Not going the whole month. I'm gonna go down for about the first week and a half. Come home. If I didn't fill my tag, then I'm gonna go back down for the last week. The last week would be good. I would say. Yeah,
0: they'll probably be rutting by then. Yeah. Um, yeah. but I think that early hunt would be fun too. Oh,
1: it's going to be, it's going to be a, a blast. Never done an out-of-state hunt. So this will be my first one and we'll, uh, it'll be quite the story, whatever happens. Oh,
0: it, it doesn't matter what happens. It's going to be good. Right. Yeah. You know that from the get, just drawing that tag. Yeah. You know, it's huge. So yeah. I'm looking forward to hearing how that
1: turns out. I, I, uh, you know, I am one of those people wh- when it comes to hunting that, I don't really care what I get. So whether whether I come home with a raghorn or I come home with a, a three fifty bull, obviously if you gave me the choice between the two, I'm going to take the three fifty bull. But I don't know those raghorns eat so good. They do eat good. I mean they eat they eat just as good as the big ones. I don't know why. But uh, you know it's it's all about the experience around the hunt. So if I have this really awesome experience and I, I shoot a bull that's you know maybe not the biggest one in the unit, I don't care. It's a cool story. Yep. I mean, both of, both of my biggest bucks are, are no trophies by any stretch of the imagination, but they're trophies to me because they were incredible incredible experiences with good friends. Yeah,
0: and I'm glad you said that, that it's, you know, it's a trophy to you. I, you know, the very first deer I shot um, when I was 12, they do a youth hunt in South Dakota. It was supposed to be a doe. I ended up shooting a spike, but mm-hmm. I'll never forget, you know, that was how many years ago now, 20 years ago. And I can still, to this day, remember sneaking up on this deer with my brother and I was shooting a thirty thirty open sight uh lever action rifle and end up killing this deer. Yeah. And that's that cool. thing that's a trophy. Yeah. You know, it's it's not the size of the animal, it's not the score. That really should have nothing to do with that. And I think society today some guy you know, sometimes gets driven by that. Yeah. And you know, if that's how you are, that's that's perfectly fine. If you're content with, you know, I have to shoot this 350 to 400 inch bull. There's places that allow you to do that. Costs a lot of money.
1: Right. Yeah. Um,
0: but I get probably just as much, if not more, satisfaction, you know, I, I hunt the snowies. My brother and I mm. go. I have no expectations. He's like, hey, let's go there. Let's try it out. And we get out. We hiked two, three miles into where we were hoping to set up camp. And we didn't know where there was water. So we got a couple miles. We're like, we don't know where water's at. We need to find somewhere else. So we go back, get back to the pickup, drive down the road, shut the door, and a bull bugles. This is a half mile from the pickup. And I'm thinking, okay, I don't think this is going to (laughs) be. I had like 10 days to hunt. And so we go in. Sure enough, this raghorn comes in. My brother may have been able to shoot him, but he was calling for me. And I never do see this raghorn. But a cow steps out, and she's standing there, and I had this expectation, you know, are we just shooting bulls? And I said, no, I got to take, I sh- shoot a cow or a bull, really didn't matter. Yeah. And so I get the full draw, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this. And I kind of contemplated, like, this is a half hour into this, this second trip in, and so I did. I shot her. She ran like 20 yards and tipped over. I thought cool. I missed her. I made a 50-yard shot on her, <laughs> and I saw my arrow arc over her back, so I'm mad. I rip off my head net, throw it on the ground. <laughs> my brother, I missed. He's like, what? He says, you didn't miss. I said, and pretty soon I see the cow come back up and tip over, Oh and no! and I'm done. <laughs> but that was a trophy. Yeah. You know, that was the first first elk I shot with my bow it was a cow, and I couldn't be more happy and then I get up there, and it's like a two-and-a-half-year-old cow that's dry and the best-tasting elk I have ever had. Yeah. And after that, I'm like, if I have any of those show up, I'm probably going to shoot her again. <laughs> you know, I, I, they taste so good. Um. And so when you said, you know, they may not be a trophy, well, it really comes down to the individual. Yep. You know? Yeah. Like I said, one of my favorite mule deer is a 130-inch two-point. Right. Yeah. And, you know, to some people that's like... Why I would, would you? never shoot that deer. Nothing. I'm still, to this day, like I said, still my favorite mule deer I've ever shot.
1: Yeah. And I I hate using the word trophy because it it kind of has this, it's kind of been demonized by people that don't hunt. Oh, they're trophy hunters. They're just, you know, after the antlers. I don't really know what the right word is. Memento is maybe yeah closer, but it's not really, it doesn't really, so I say trophy. I don't like it. I, if someone knows a better word, I'd love to hear what it is for, for what it is that we do when we keep antlers. But my favorite antlers are these little, this little two by two right here, just because the, the time and the effort that I put into hunting that area. And then I went out on the last day. I literally had like four hours. I I'd, I'd hunted all season. I'd been on some really nice bucks, but it was the last day that I could hunt that year. The last four hours, really good buddy came who hadn't hunted in years since he was a little kid. And he's like, I just want to come. Like, I want to come see you get something. I want a field dress. I want the whole hunting experience. And we go out and we see this, this buck and he's rutting does and doing the whole typical mule deer thing. And I look at him, I was like, well, he's not that big. And I look at my buddy and I was like, there's, there's probably another buck way down here, maybe a mile and a half we could pass up on this buck, maybe go get one down here or this one's at 200 yards. He has no idea we're here and I can shoot him. What do you think we ought to do? And he goes, I think you ought to shoot him. I was like, I think you're right. And set up, made a shot. He went maybe 10 feet, fell over. And then we, you know, we did the whole field dressing around the field and everything and, and packed him out. And it was, it was an awesome experience. I mean, if you look at that, dinky little two by two right there and and you don't know that story you don't understand that but whenever I I think about that I get goosebumps and I I feel like I'm back there in the field with my buddy Dan that day and it's just it's one of my favorite stories ever and those are the
0: things you'll never forget too. I mean like like I said when I was 12 and shot that first deer I can still to the you know every deer or antelope or elk or you know whatever I've shot coyotes I can remember exactly where I've shot coyotes. Um, you know, the first fox that I killed, I remember exactly on my buddy's place. I was coming down the road on a four wheeler, I look out, and there he is. And that's that's cool. the first fox that I, you know, that I took. And um, the ones that I start um, kind of forgetting and and kind of run into each other are like the upland game, the oh, yeah. But at the same time, there's days I'll have my dog out that I, you know, have vivid. You know memories of that. The ones I do remember was when I first started with a single shot 410. We'd go out and shoot grouse and and pheasants, and we'd take turns. You know, my buddies and I. It'd be okay. It's your turn to shoot, and we'd go try and find a pheasant and shoot him on the ground with 410. Um, things like that. That just I will probably remember forever. Yeah. And those are the true trophies. You know, the the biggest deer, the biggest elk, any of that stuff. I don't necessarily. I can remember the first bull I shot. Yeah, because <laughs> I just that adrenaline rush after I shot that bull was incredible. Um, I kind of had a moment like Matt where I broke down and and my brother kind of had to stop me and calm me down a little bit. Um, but it happened so fast I wasn't ready and didn't That's have time awesome. to think about it. Yeah, um, you know we're hiking and I look down and there's a, a 320 inch six by six. First year first elk hunt. And really? Yep. That's cool. Opening day. And I blew the first shot. You know, he's at 50 yards and takes off. And I ended up getting three rounds into him. And I thought they were good. Ended up not being that great of a shot. And so from there I went from the highest of highs, thinking I just shot my first bull. And this bull was unique in the fact that I had my nephew there and my dad. And they were out just for the elk hunt. And that bull fed by them at 30 yards very cool and bugled in their face and they got to just watch that bull i end up coming across him end up shooting him i shot him sunday it was a little after 11 and i didn't find that bull until tuesday by the time i got to him there was nothing left the coyotes had been on him um but in my mind i had filled my tag i was done i wasn't going to shoot any other elk um it it was a good rifle tag and that there's a lot of uh, good bulls killed in that area. And finally Monday came around. My brother came back out. I had found some blood where he ended up going into private. Mm. And so I'm like, well, my hunt's over. There's no way. And so I spent most of that Monday, finally tracked the landowner down, told him what had happened. He's like, yeah. He says, have at it. If you need to drive in there. You know, go get him. I don't want to dr- be on horseback and find him. Right, yeah. And so I said, well, I'm not going to drive on your place. I said, I'll hike in and, f- and see if I can find him. And we got in there uh, Monday night. I'm spent. I've been spent the last couple of days just hiking, trying Exhausting. to find him. Yes, you know, my mind was spent. I'm tired. You know, I felt terrible. Um, And knowing the fact that my shots weren't as good as I was thinking they were. And... Finally, Tuesday morning rolls around, and I can hear magpies and coyotes. And I'm like, that might be him. And I popped a hill, sure enough. I was 100 yards from him the night before, but it got dark on us. We couldn't see him. Yeah. And so I ended up punching that tag, came out with the head and no meat. But that's one I will never forget either. Um, you know, I, this year, my goal, if I have a spike step in front of me, I'm probably going to shoot him. Nice. Because spikes taste really good. They do taste good. <laughs> um, You know, I, I don't really, you know, the word trophy, I don't know. They are trophies. I I think trophy is fitting, but for the people that don't hunt, they don't understand that concept. Yeah. Um, and I think that's part of the challenge now is the people that don't hunt is explaining that, that the trophy for me is sitting in a wall tent, talking Mm -hmm. with friends, you know, having that fire go at night. You're just away from everything and those are the trophies it's hard to explain to somebody that's never hunted you know they think you're out there riding around in your pickup and you know shooting out the window and doing all that stuff which granted there are people that still do that um but i think you know as as the hunting community we need to and i think we've done a good job of changing that uh, perception by the non-hunting community Um, I think there's some things that are seen in, um, well, you look at outdoor television, for example. Um, I can remember waking up Sunday mornings and watching fishing and hunting and Mm -hmm. and all that stuff, and all it was about was the kill. Right. You know, the ultimate end to this episode is we got a kill. Now you're seeing a lot of these shows coming out where, I didn't fill a tag this time, but they still tell that story. Right, yeah. And I think those things have uh, made a huge change. Um, for the positive. We still have a lot of hurdles to overcome, but um, I think we're on our way. Um, Like I said, there's still a lot of challenges ahead of us. Um, You know, the thing I would like to see more is dads out with their kids, um, you know, taking your neighbor's kid out. Yeah. You know, finding those kids that have never experienced this and throw them in the pickup. You know, it was my oldest son um he's 5 and i i can remember it was a few weeks ago he finally says to me and i've never pushed him you know he shoots his bow now and again but never said you, you know he watches some of the hunt shows with me and all of a sudden he's like i want to go hunting with you and that's, that's cool. been that's so cool it is it's it's one of the best feelings and i'm excited um, I, you know i hope that's what he wants to do um and my hope is that I can get him out there and he'll wanna do it. But if not, that's okay too. Yeah. But I want him to have those opportunities, those memories of I can remember being in the pickup with my dad when I was his age. And my brothers would hike and I'd be in the pickup with dad. Yeah. I just didn't hike that much. <laughs> um you know, when I was there, he would just have me with him. But those are the things that I hope I can pass on. Um and if you know a family that doesn't hunt give them some some wild game let them see what it's about and um, yeah
1: yeah i couldn't agree with you more and i think another thing i try to do and, and this can be tricky sometimes but if there's somebody who's new to hunting help them find somewhere to go i mean you don't you don't have to give them your prime spot or or you know if there's an area that you feel you know really attached to you don't have to you don't have to give them your, you know, your honey hole, but you know, we've all hunted enough that we can say, yeah, like here's this area over here. Like, go check that out. You know, there's a good chance that you'll run into some elk. And, and that's something I, I try to do is if there's somebody who's new to hunting, um, there's a couple of spots that I've hunted in the past. I know elk are in the area and it's, it's an area that I don't care. I don't have any personal special connection to. And I, I, you know, I'll send, you know new hunters there and say hey go give this a shot you you know some people feel differently and that's fine if you feel differently great but i think one of the biggest barriers there's two big barriers in my opinion to, to new hunters one is is gear like a lot of people let gear be a barrier whether they don't have a gun or boots or or whatever you know and they they let that be a barrier another one that they that people do is where do i go like where where do i go hunt And I think if we can, we can definitely, it's up to the individual to, to take care of the gear. Um, You know, eventually over time, you're just going to build up the gear that you need to go hunting. Really, you don't need that much. You need a weapon and, you know, a pair of boots that aren't going to like fall apart on you. But if you got that, then wear your jeans and your Carhartt jacket. I, I was just looking back at some little hunting pictures. I was wearing like the heavy, like double layer Carhartt pants, my first season hunting and, I was fine. I made it. Yep. But, uh, yeah, if we can help people figure out where to go or, or whatnot, that's that's huge. And I think those two barriers, if people know how to overcome those two, then we can help people, you know, get into this awesome lifestyle that, that we enjoy. Yeah. And I, I think you hit a big one there is
0: gear. Um, I'll admit I like high-end gear. I do too. <laughs> um, it, it's hard not to once you start using it. Um, because you're way more comfortable i you know i used to growing up it was jeans yeah jeans and tennis shoes and whatever you had and you grab an orange vest and you're good right now it's you know you know me i have uh myself i wear sitka gear and i wear it because it's comfortable but it also comes at a very high price right um you know when not even that long ago it was the walmart pants the the cargo pants that were just cotton and and, um that kind of stuff and i still had just as much fun yep did just as well if not better um now it's just down to a comfort thing yeah and and the luxuries i would say um i think it was i might be wrong on this but i think it was ty stubblefield was going back to the old uh Black and red plaid and jeans, yeah, and I've and seen him hunting that, that. That's awesome. Yeah, you know, it, and realistically, you look at the way they used to do it. That's what they did. I yeah. mean And now we do this as a privilege. Where when my dad was little, they used to hunt to eat. Right. And it was not a that we uh, right not that we don't do it to eat now, but sometimes that's all you could put in your freezer. Yeah. And you had to survive on that and they used to use 22s my my dad would talk about my grandpa how many deer he had shot with a 22 Um, that you had to do that to survive um, at times and I was just back there uh, for a family reunion in South Dakota and I look back at what they went through um, you know way obviously before my time back in the 50s and 60s and Little background, my, my grandfather took over the ranch at the age of 14. Wow. His dad passed away. They uh, homesteaded about 20 miles south of town, which the town I grew up in is only about 1,200 people.
1: Jeez. And that's so a tiny town.
0: There's, you know, not a whole lot out there. Um, and that's kind of the big area out there for some of the smaller communities around it. And so you look back then, he, he left school after seventh grade and basically became an adult. And so, listening to some of those old stories makes me really appreciate what they went through um, to what we have today. Where now I've got a computer in my pocket at all times. Yeah, you know, it, Even growing up as a as a kid, I can remember being dropped off at the lake by my parents, and I would fish all day. And when they get off work, they come pick me up and I go home. This I, little nine ten years old, you do that nowadays you know it's people, cps uh, called on exactly. you exactly <laughs> and it, and that's not that long ago no but
1: i think maybe just to wrap up the gear discussion um i think if you're buying gear to make your hunt more enjoyable and extend your time in the woods then that's kudos to you because in my opinion you're you're doing it for the right reasons it's when you start buying gear for for ego and for status or because you think that the gear is going to make you a better hunter, maybe reevaluate why you're doing that. Cause like you said, it's we're doing this because it's something that we, that we enjoy now. It's not a necessity. Um, it is, it is something that's deep within each of our souls. I feel like it, it you know, it's a, um, it's part of who we are, but we can go to the store. We can buy all the food we, we need now, most of us choose to do this because we feel like, um, we can provide, you know, healthier, healthier meat, you know, more humanely sourced meat. But, um, when, when you start to let your ego get into these decisions that you're making, man, that's, that's a dangerous place to be in. And I think personally, just me personally, I think you need to check your ego at the door as a hunter. It shouldn't, it should never be about ego. So if you're buying gear based on ego, reevaluate that. Um but I love that story about your 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 hometown and growing up. That's really cool.
0: Yeah. You know it it was unique I would say. Um definitely would not be for everybody. Um but I can remember being little and we'd take my buddies his grandfather had an old sixty nine Chevy and we'd drive that around his place and hunt in. That's cool. You know, granted that was before we had driver's licenses or anything like yeah, that, but <laughs> um, but those are things that I will never forget and cherish. Uh, we'll cherish that forever. Kind of helped me become who I am and and where I came from. And you know, when you're you're talking about that gear stuff, and and when that becomes a deciding factor, you're exactly right. You need to stop and remember why we do this. If I had to go back and i didn't have all the luxurious gear and the nice things and that stuff it's not going to make a difference i'm going out either way yeah um as long as i can still get tags and i've got equipment that'll work i'm going it yeah. doesn't matter um and i think that's a good thing to to remember um cuz i think it's easy to get caught up with social media these days with seeing People posting um, all their stuff. And I'm one of them. I love my gear and I talk about gear and the stuff I use. Um, But I don't want somebody that's new to look at that and think, I have to have that stuff to be successful. Right. You know? Yeah. Because that's not the case. Um, You know, they've been, Native Americans have been killing animals for a long time. Yep with stone points yeah and there's part of me um i want to do more with my compound yet but there's part of me that wants to go back and do a self bow and make my own arrows and nap my own broadheads and do that stuff and go way back to it and just show that it can be done yeah that'd be cool yep i don't know that i'll ever do that (laughs) but um that's something i have um also thought of um one of my next ventures is probably going to be buying a recurve and slowing down and limiting myself even further. And it's funny because I've talked to my friends that do a lot of rifle hunting. They're like, well, why do you archery hunt? It makes it that much harder. Well, that's part of it. I don't yeah. archery hunt to see how far I can shoot. I archery hunt to see how close I can get. Right. Um, and that's always been my main focus. And, and it's incredible how close, once you start taking the time and slowing down, how close you can get. Yeah. Um, And that's the fun part
1: about it. Oh, it's so fun. Yeah. Well, and this is probably a good segue. Why don't you show us how to use some of these calls and talk a little bit about the calls that you use to get close to these animals?
0: Yes. um, The one I'll start with first, I'll do the, this is the Black Magic. Um, It's got, like I said, the anodized gold frame on it. It's got black tape. Uh, the ones you're going to see in the stores now, I believe they're stamping with the Rocky Mountain hunting logos. Yep.
1: Um,
0: I don't have any of those on hand, but um, I really like this one just for cow calling. Um, it's got a nice soft cow call, um, but it also bugles really nice too. I'll start off by saying I have not practiced in a while. <laughs> so yeah, No it, judgments here. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs>
1: So if you're calling like that, what, I mean, a lot of these people that listen don't hunt. So if you're doing that, what are you essentially doing? So a lot of that that I just did there is kind of just your general cow-calf, uh,
0: cow-calf herd talk. And so it's just them kind of communicating, you know, hey, where are you at? Just keeping track of each other. Um, I don't have a set. Like what I did there, I just kind of start calling. I yeah. don't, don't ever have, you want to kind of have in mind What story are you going to tell? And that's a good way to look at uh, calling in general is what do I want to sound like? Do I want to sound like just a herd of cows? Do I want to be just one single cow that's trying to look for some other cows? Do I want to be that dominant bull that's, you know, going to run everything out? And so you do, as much as I say I don't really have a plan, I kind of do. Sure, yeah. Um, And so, yeah, that's... Just in general, just some kind of cow-calf. And then I threw, you know, what they call the estrus buzz in there. Um, and what what I do there is I'm just adding my voice in and some kind of growls in my throat. And that ends up coming through the diaphragm.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. And
0: so that one I don't use a lot. I would say if I'm going to use the estrus buzz, um, you know, that's typically in the rut. You're going to have a cow that's essentially ready to breed right then. So it is a good call if the timing's right, but I don't use it all that often. Gotcha. Sometimes not at all.
1: But. Cool. Cool. Once you do, maybe a, a immature bull, like a young bull. So young bull's just going to be
0: um, generally a little bit higher pitched. Um, you're not going to get a lot of growl with it. Um, you know, it's, people ask, well, which diaphragm is a bull call? Which one's a cow call? And essentially with, with our calls, you can kind of do a little bit of everything. I don't bugle a lot with the mellow yellow because it's got a a little different, I won't say lighter latex, but it's not stretched quite as tight. So you're able to get a lot more estrus with that. Gotcha. But really you can kind of do them all. Um, grab my tube here. Try not to blow this out too loud. Right. And so it's kind of just a, a little bit higher pitch on that, I would say, on a on a younger bull. Um, but at the same time, I've had big bulls come in, and it's like, that didn't sound like a big bull. <laughs> and so each elk is different, but, um yeah.
1: I've heard some guys talk about this idea, and I think, I don't know if Rocky talked about this on one of his videos. Regardless, uh, doing a a cow call to get a bull to respond, and then once he responds, cutting him off with an immature call, an immature bull call, to kind of rile him up and see if you can provoke him to come on in. Is that something that you found effective?
0: Yes. Um, You know, I had a herd bull last year that I did that on. Um, kind of started cow calling and just a location bugle and he answered my bugle pretty quick, but ultimately what I ended up running through my mind is, okay, I've got a bull here that answered pretty quickly. I'm sure he's in my mind has some cows and ultimately it was the big herd bull. And so I came in and had him answer and I started bugling back at him. And so, uh, same with the one that Matt killed, um, I started off with just some cow calls, and he didn't answer that, but as soon as he heard that bull that was there, it was on. He was looking for a fight. Um, I've had things happen fast. That one was really quick. I mean, we almost should have set up quicker, I guess, or I shouldn't have called as soon, I would say. Gotcha. Because um, it happened so quick. But when a bull is fired up, you'll know. Um, and then when you hear their challenge bugle, it's that <laughs> one will wake you up. Um, the one thing with elk that I found that is so cool is when you get in close enough, you can feel it in your chest when they're bugling at you. And that's the ultimate, that's actually probably, I would say my goal is if I can get into elk and I got a bull that's bugling and I can start feeling that in my chest, my, my season's done. I'm made. That's it. cool. Um, so that bull, that's kind of exactly what I did. And it ended up not quite working out in the fact he was smarter than I am. He instantly started working my wind. He ran all the way around us. Until he got the wind, dang, um, which was unfortunate because <laughs> he was big. Um, it's
1: funny how they do that. Yeah,
0: yeah, and uh, and that's the one piece of advice I always tell people: you're not going to be successful at elk hunting if you can't figure the wind out, because the wind's going to get you every time. Um, if you can start figuring out um, your winds, which way to kind of go into them, which you know what angles to try and call them at, I- it's so much easier because. You can fool their eyes now and again. You can fool their ears now and again, but their nose, you can't fool it. Um, You know, that's the other thing. I don't use a lot of scent stuff. Mm, Um, Yeah. You you know, I I will spray down generally a little bit, but (laughs) when it comes down to it, hunting in September, I'm sweating. Yeah. You know, I do it just for the simple you know, to ease my mind that, hey, it might make a difference. Right. And so I do use some, but not a lot. Yeah. Because generally I'm probably stinky anyway and they yeah. smell me, so.
1: I I am pretty careful about washing my clothes in front scent-free stuff. And then I have, like, a big Ziploc bag where I dump all my clothes in after I've washed them. And I have those little dirt wafer, the yep. little dirt scent wafers, and I chuck those in. And for me, I don't think I'm fooling an elk. Like, I, I don't. I mean, I, I do spray down with dead-down wind before I go out, um, but it's not because I think I'm going to fool them. It's because I what I'm banking on is that if they can't, for like a split second, place what that smell is, that split second might be enough to buy me some time. Yep. But if you think that spraying down with any kind of scent control cover stuff is going to let you, you know, walk walk in on, on them with bad wind, that's not going to happen. Yeah. It's it's going to give you maybe a half a second where they can't quite figure out what it is that they're smelling.
0: Yep. And and you'll see um, when you go out, when they get your wind, you'll know. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's an instant stop and they're gone. Yeah. Um, but that that's, like I said, the one thing that I generally try to tell people is figure the wind. If you can get the wind figured out and and if it's not right before you go in, don't even attempt. Make sure you have the wind. Um, yeah. if you got to walk a mile around to make sure you have the wind do it, it, it it'll it make such a difference
1: yep absolutely
0: but yeah no going back to that um you know starting off with soft cow calls kind of just and don't be afraid to make noise you know um coming from a background of white tail and mule deer hunt you generally want to stay pretty quiet with elk I mean, you don't want to go running through, breaking all sorts of branches and things like that, but it's okay if you make a little bit of noise. Yeah. They're a big animal. They're going to make noise. They're a big animal until they're trying to find you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's the one thing that just still blows my mind with elk is this big animal just snuck within, <coughs> got to like 15 yards, and I didn't hear anything until I look up, and there they are. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty incredible. Um, the other thing is how a big bull can make it through timber. Um, without hitting branches yeah. and stuff and there was a video somewhere and i can't even remember which where it's at or who ended up uh, getting video of this but it was a bull that was basically he would turn his head a certain way and then really go through the trees and then it, yeah they, they'll they turn their bodies all sorts of ways <laughs> it's they're goofy animals but
1: they're yeah they are by far my favorite animal just f- simply for the fact of their intelligence yep. is so fascinating and there's something you'll he- that I, I hear hunters say all the time is they'll say, man, that elk was so turned on, and it it's a great visual because you're right when they're when they're you know relaxed and not worried about anything they make noise they break branches they kick rocks there's there's like no attempt to be silent but the second they get turned on to danger this. Uh, switch flips in their head and they are silent yep. and you're right the biggest bulls can go through these tiny little gaps we were chasing a bull uh the first week of last archery season and we we were going at a snail's pace through the trees because they were so it was so thick it was all this new growth and we were like basically on our hands and knees trying to crawl underneath the branches to you know, at least be somewhat quiet and we were making so much noise and that bull was dead silent we we would get within like 25 yards and we'd cow call and he'd bugle and then we'd like sneak up to where he was and he'd be gone and we'd challenge bugle and he'd be a hundred yards and we hadn't heard a single thing, it would just be dead quiet and he's just working through all this new growth and it's incredible how quiet they can be when they want to be quiet
0: Yep, and the other, other thing I try to remind myself of is i would look at you know elk as when you're hunting certain areas that that's their house
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know if you're in your own house and you hear something in the back room you know right where that sound's coming from oh yeah um, you may not know exactly you know was it in the closet you know was it under the bed was it you know exactly where it is so you get a little bit closer and then they start to pinpoint but as soon as you call they know right where you're at it's it's amazing when you start making those sounds they will pinpoint you and know exactly where you're at just from one call and their hearing is really really good when it comes to that because you know when you're calling they're coming to you and more often than not they're they can pinpoint you from a long ways away and so that's always fa- uh, fascinated me, too, is how, how well they can figure that out just from one sound.
1: Yeah. Um, that's cool. Yeah. Do you want to do any other calls real quick?
0: Um, yeah. Um, anything that you're looking for or want to <laughs> hear specifically. Your or.
1: magic call to bring in the elk,
0: of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the one I use more more often than others is just a simple, you know, two, three, one note location bugle. Um, it's non-aggressive. It's basically, hey, where are you at? And so my purpose of this one is I'm just trying to find out where they're at. Right. Um, and then the other thing I will do is if I get a bull located, I usually mimic. Okay. So um, a good thing to do when you're learning to call is go onto YouTube and look up elk bugling. Hear that sound and try mimic and there's times i'll record myself and so i'll have a bowl that's playing on you know the computer or whatever and then i'll record myself and see try to get as accurate and realistic as you can as that sound you're hearing
1: gotcha um
0: but just starting out i i will generally come in an area sometimes i don't cow call right away and i'm just bugling nice and it's just hey where you at So kind of really non-aggressive there. Yeah. Um, the thing I'll point out with that is that latex. So I don't know if you could catch it in that bugle there. I had a little bounce in it. Mm. And so that's all that tongue pressure, and it's very little movements in my tongue, and it was kind of bouncing there. You want that as crisp and clean as you can get. Okay. Um, and so, again, wh- what that's called is just a location bugle, and I'll I'll do it again here in just a minute. Um, but. I use that one a lot, and what I'm doing generally is, uh, a prime example was the bull that Stephen killed last year. We were in an area, it's, it wasn't a real big area, but we were getting nothing answering. You know, I'd, I'd do that, and we'd go another 150 yards, and I'd do it again, and i do it again, and kind of just kept walking this area, and it was a fairly windy day, not too bad, but I finally got to a point where... I let one out, and he answered, and I had just been bugling for quite a ways, and that's the main reason I'll do that, and that's it. I'm just looking to get an answer. Once I get an answer, now it's time to figure out, you know, the next step. What are they going to want to hear? Cool. And so then it's just listening to what they're saying. That bull was just sitting and, and basically answering me back. He knew where I was. I knew where he was at. Now I got to make my game plan to get close. Cool. And so we were three, 400 yards from that bull first time we heard him, and by the time I got him to where he actually came in, we were probably within 75 yards wow. when he finally triggered and said, okay, enough, it's time for a fight. So, um, again, it's just a one- or two-note, crisp, clean um, bugle. And so every now and again, I'll add in a chuckle like that mm-hmm. just change it up a little bit. Like you said, you don't want just one, one call. And so um, you can also growl at the beginning. Um, what that is, is I'll just use my voice and it adds a little different sound coming across that latex. Um, it's just, whoa, whoa. and I'm basically just growling with my throat a little bit with that diaphragm in and So there's little little tricks that you can learn. Um, one of the, the, the best ways I learned was just getting on. Um, Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls has a huge YouTube channel yeah. with lots of videos, lots of tutorials. Um, and I would say recording yourself is a big help because in your ear you can kind of hear it. But once you play it back and you start listening to it, you can really kind of fine-tune things. Yeah. Um, and it just takes time.
1: Yeah, there was a uh, time where I was like, "Man, I'm sounding really good." So I recorded myself and I played back. Eh, no, not not yeah. really as great as I thought. So yeah, recording yourself is very helpful.
0: You know what I I found? I I went down to Worlds this year down in Salt Lake in Sandy, and I ended up with working with the company. I'd never called. You know, I'd done a couple of contests here in Helena, but never like a big stage with that. And yeah, you're talking you know, the best in the world. And, you know, Rocky at one point texted me and says, you going to, to Worlds? And I said, I don't know. I don't I don't think I have what it takes. And, you know, that's kind of the wrong attitude to have. Not saying that, you know, I'm going to go out there and win the world, mm-hmm. but I'm going to give it my best shot and have fun. Right. And so yeah. I ended up losing out first round to Al Morris. And it was probably one of the funnest things I've done in a long time. That's um, cool. You know, I was nervous getting up there, but by the time it was all said and done, I got through my cow calls and my bugling, and like, that actually wasn't too bad. You know, I thought I sounded okay. And and so I talked to Lance Sellers afterwards, you know, how did it go, and, and what I was finding and I'm still struggling with is my chuckles and my and my grunts. And trying to get those those better. But um, Elk 101 ended up recording the entire contest. Nice. And so I was able to go back and listen to it. And I picked up. Um, what I was having a problem with is I wasn't getting enough emotion in my call. Okay. I was kind of just calling, you know, which out in the mountains and stuff, that's fine. Um, Elk are going to answer to that. It's going to work. Um, but to get as realistic as possible. And, and Corey's and uh, Rocky are prime examples. If you listen to their calls, there's so much emotion into it that it's hard to tell the difference between an elk and them. Right. Um, I can tell Rocky's bugle when I hear it just from hearing it so often. Um, I usually have a good idea. So, like when he was out last year, if he bugled, I kind of knew it was him. And Yeah. But, man, it sounds good. Um, they do such a good job. And you know that's lots and lots of experience. Um and so getting to talk to you know I talk a lot about Rocky but um he's mentored me in many ways as far as out calling and and made me a better caller that I'm very appreciative of that. Um and a lot of the guys on the team there are some excellent callers out there. I can tell you the youth division at Worlds blew me away. Yeah. Um there's some kids coming up that are unbelievably good callers. Oh, that's so good to hear. Yep, yep. Some that uh, I can't remember the kid's name, but he had called in a contest I think the week before, and he had it down. It 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 was it was impressive. So that that was fun to watch, and then you watch the Pee Wee division, the, the <laughs> little little kids, and that is a blast. Um, they do that every year. Um, I think they used to do it at Elk Camp. Uh, for the elk foundation and now they're doing separate i think it's ISE down in salt lake but if you ever get a chance
1: to go to that i mean that'd be cool i'll have to see if i can make a trip down
0: before the contest standing outside that everybody was practicing <laughs> it was just uh, herds of elk it was it gets you excited for september
1: that's and cool so i love it but well i appreciate you coming over and bringing your calls and talking and sharing stories it's this has been a good conversation. I yeah. really enjoyed this. I always ask people um, a few questions at the end just to kind of wrap it up. So I'm going to fire these off at you, and there's no right or wrong answer to these. Uh, what's your favorite piece of gear? If you had to share one, what would it be? Oh, you got to limit it to one. One piece of gear. Um,
0: I would say the – I don't know if i call it favorite. I'd say one of the most important. Um, is my boots mm. um, if you 're going to invest in something, spend some money on a good pair of boots, and the reason I say that is, is if your feet are done you 're done yep um so if you can keep your feet comfortable um you can go so much further um, and it doesn 't mean you have to go spend four or five hundred bucks on a pair of boots, but at least invest some money in them yeah um, and it 'll make a huge difference and
1: you 've been using the crispies? Right. Yes. Yeah.
0: Um, you know, I I don't have a favorite brand necessarily. I, I've used Crispies starting last year. Um, I have a pair of their Monaco's that I wear almost every day that are extremely comfortable, but I started using the Idaho's last year. Mm. Um, before that, um, which I still use quite a bit, is my Kenetrek uh, Mountain Extremes for an insulated boot. Um, both those, I I, you know, I wouldn't put one over the other necessarily, but they're both extremely comfortable. And I know that when I get a heavy pack on my back that my feet are going to be all right. So I would say, I don't know about favorite piece of gear, but probably most important to
1: me is boots. Yeah. No, I I would agree. As we're talking about important piece of gear, your boots, like yeah, you summed it up, well, your boots are going to be up there. Um let's see uh what advice would you give to a new hunter like what and we touched on this a little bit but what would be your your piece of advice for somebody who's never hunted before who's just getting into it um
0: ask questions um
1: that would be my biggest
0: piece of advice don't be afraid to ask a question that you feel um you know there's always the old adage there's no such thing as a dumb question and there really isn't um ask it ask away yeah get out um you know there's hunting forums online that you can get on there's uh trade shows to go to Um, lots of areas that had i had that when i was growing up it would have been huge um you know the ones i spend a lot of time on i would say which i haven't recently but uh, randy newberg's hunt talk you get on there um you know, I would suggest not going on there and, and saying, hey, I just drew a 380 tag. Where should I go? Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> those types of questions. Because you'll get some answers that uh, might put you back a little bit. But yeah. don't be afraid to ask that question. Just you got to be careful how you ask it. Yep. Um, Not that it's a dumb question, but people are going to call you out on it. Um, Get out on those places. Start introducing yourself. I'm new to hunting. Where do I begin? What, you know. That's the biggest thing: is just to ask questions and yeah. don't, you know, don't. I wouldn't start, you know, what's the best bow on the market? What should I be shooting? Because you're going to get all sorts of answers. Yeah. And then you're thinking, holy cows! I got to spend fifteen hundred dollars on a bow and get it all set up, and you know, go to your archery shops. Yep. Get yeah. a lower end bow to start out with, um, but ask questions. That that would be my my biggest thing for somebody new. Um, and try to find somebody that's hunted before, you'll find out the ones that are, are uh, probably not going to give you too straight of an answer because there are people out there that you touched on it, you know, asking people where's a good place to go. And you may not get some so friendly answers because yeah. some people, um, they don't want anybody else there.
1: Right. Um, yeah. There, There's a lot of resources out there, and I think with what you're saying, maybe without saying it is the hunting community wants to see you put in some work before they're just going to, you know, start throwing you, you know, kind of privileged information, so to speak. Um, If, if you're on those forums and you're asking people like, Hey, um, you know, when I'm looking on Onyx maps, what's a good feature to look for? If I'm looking for elk, that's going to get you, a whole lot more friendly of an answer versus, Hey, where do I go find elk? There's, it's kind of the same question, but you're, you're asking it in a way that's saying, Hey, I want to learn how to be an elk hunter. And I'm kind of struggling here. Like show me what to look for versus the other one. sounds like you're saying, show me where the elk are, which the two are going to definitely get you totally different answers. So I agree with you. If you're going to, um, if you're going to ask questions, ask questions that help you develop your skills more, not nah, just look for kind of free handouts, so to speak. But there's so many good resources out there. It it has blown me away in the last few years
0: when when I'm talking about that forum, Elk 101's forum. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of good information. Eastman's has a forum with a ton of good information. Uh, archery Talk. Um, you know, that's geared more towards archery, but there's a lot of good useful information on there. Um, go hunt with the you know when you're looking at doing tags and and you know statistic type stuff they've they've changed that whole game um, you know you brought up on x um download the app, start looking at maps yeah um Randy Newberg's got um an e scout series that he's coming out with for elk it's really you good know, yes there's yeah. there's so many resources when I look back at what we didn't have before. people are so fortunate now of what's out there, yeah. And there's just a wealth of knowledge. But most of the people that you're going to run into are willing to share some of it. They may mm-hmm. r- they're they not going to give you coordinates on where to go, but if you ask the right way, the way you put it, um, it'll take you a long ways. Um, you know, you're um biologist in the area. Yeah. You know, things like that. There's There's so many areas. But, yeah, just ask. It's never going to... The worst that somebody's going to tell you is no. Yeah. And... That person may tell you no, but the next person may sit down and actually give you coordinates. You know, hey, there's going to be elk here at this time. You know, I hunt in there all the time. You may run into those people. I've had landowners that I've ran into that I was hunting a piece of state, and I ran into one specific landowner. I'm like, okay, we'll see how this goes because I've had, you know, some not so good experiences. And he's like, what are you doing? And, you know, I said, hey, I'm just looking to shoot a deer i don't care what it, he says go down to the house go sit in the field they come out at this time i'm tired of them getting hit on the road <laughs> and so i got access to to private without even asking
1: that's cool um
0: don't be afraid to knock on doors for that stuff um, but don't you know don't just come in and hey can i hunt your place you know just to introduce yourself you know i'm new to hunting um you know I wish there was a guideline to ask for access to private because oh, it, it, it's tough and it's so different nowadays and and rightly so. I mean, it's like anything. There's there's very good people and then there's some people that ruin it for everybody and yeah. that's just what we have to live with.
1: Um, well, it's kind of like calling elk. Like it's not going to, the, r- the same call is not going to work on every elk. I yeah. mean, they really, you guys should put out like a, a uh, forum on how to call landowners i mean (laughs) that's almost (laughs) what what you need you need something because you're it's everybody's different every landowner's different and every one of them has had good experiences bad experience with hunters so yeah you're right you just you know you got to take each one one at a time and not uh not have any assumptions when you talk to them because they're all different yep yeah
0: yeah and some may may just tell you to you need to leave now and that's okay too that is okay that's that's part of dealing with uh private landowners and they have every right and you have to respect that um and i do uh greatly respect that yep Um, but there is some that are more than willing to help you out so
1: absolutely yeah i was having a conversation with somebody the other day and this is a whole another conversation but just briefly i this person was saying oh i hate private landowners blah, blah blah i was like I don't cause they're the ones that have the majority of animals on their property in the winter time. You know, they're, they're providing habitat that we need for healthy herds. And, um, you know, most of them don't want those animals on their land more than, than we do. We, they want them back on the public just as much as we do. So yeah, I don't, I don't have a problem. In, I don't think the guy quite got what I was getting at, but yeah, I, you know, just from doing my job, I, I've, come to greatly appreciate you know the landowners that we have in in our state and there are are way more that are you know are friendly and and kind and good people than the ones that are you know a little bit grouchy like that's those guys are few and far between most of them are really good people who do a lot for for the hunting public so uh maybe make a bumper stick that says we heart landowners or something and we can (laughs) pass that out Um, (laughs) uh, okay got two more questions for you Mm -hmm. here what is the thing that you're most excited about right now? Elk season. <laughs> uh, it didn't take you
0: long. No. I, I think about elk, I would say, year-round, but it seems like I get into June, July. Um, you know, I'm excited for antelope hunting because I'm going to get to do that first, but I, there's nothing like getting into elk camp and getting ready to go that, that first morning. Um, and I know I'm excited, like last year. I drove from here to my spot, which is long ways away, and I didn't get there till two in the morning. And barely got camp set up, slept for about an hour, and we're going. And we hunted all day. Um, not many things will drive me to do that. <laughs> um, elk are one of those, but yeah, I'm super pumped for elk season. Um, yep. I'm going back in same area I went in last year, and. Uh, my calling has gotten better, and it's drastically shown with the encounters I'm having. And so I just get excited year to year, and I seem like I get more excited every year. That's and, great. And yeah, I can't wait. I, I'm i already kind of planning, trying to figure out what dates I want to go. I, I try to kind of plan around the moon phase a little bit as far as the full moon. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be a little tougher then, but if that's the week I have, I'm going. Um, it really makes no difference. Um, I try to plan, the rut. Yeah, but they're animals. I can't plan the rut. You can't. You, you just hope that week I get in there. It's going to be a good one. Yeah. Some years are better than others.
1: Yeah. Uh, if it was easy, it wouldn't be hunting. That's and right. That's uh. That's the best part about it. So. So my last question for you: Have you seen the movie Jeremiah Johnson? You know. I have seen
0: parts of that. I have yet to sit down and watch the thing beginning to end. Okay. <laughs> so I may be doing
1: that. I think you need to. It's a great movie. Uh, if you haven't seen it, I'll just kind of preface my question by explaining that. There's a scene there where Jeremiah, the main character, is starving to death. It's the middle of winter. He hasn't shot or trapped anything in you know a long time. And he stumbles across this guy frozen in the snow. And there's a note pinned to his chest that says, uh, you know, whoever finds me, take my rifle. It killed the bear that that killed me. I think they say bar, but, you know, same thing. Uh, (laughs) If you were that guy, you've just been mauled by a bear, and you have time to write one message to leave behind, what would you want that message to be? Boy, one message, that's it. Yep. Uh,
0: I would say... Leave it better than you found it. Um, You know, hunting is technically not a right. It's a privilege. And um, it could realistically disappear at any time. Um, And I think it's up to us that are coming um, in the future that we need to to leave it better than it was given to us. I think we've done an okay job when you look back um, at the big mule deer days and things like that, and you look way back when they were killing everything off. Yeah. Um, you look at wolves, they've come back. Um, grizzly bears are way on the rise. Um, so I th- that would be my thing is leave it, you know, better than we found it and i think if we can stay con- conservation minded and not ruin that there's going to be a lot for the future the one thing that they don't make any more of is land and right now um, it's going to be coming again this year i believe from senator lee that they're going to be trying to sell federal lands back to the states yep um i i know you've seen that um and it's coming. And so from this point forward, this is going to be a fight for public land hunters for the foreseeable future. Um, and it's a fight we can't sit on. And so if we start fighting back and getting more access, um, the Elk Foundation, that's one of their main things, is access. Yep. Uh, you know, I follow Randy Newberg a lot. And he has always said the one thing that has hurt hunters is access. They're yep. nowhere to hunt. And if we lose that, uh, you know, ultimately hunting may go away. Um, it's something I worry about. Some people say, no, that's never going to go away. Well, who's saying it's not going to? Yeah. You know, the ones that are saying it's not going to is going to be us that are going to put our foot down and get tired of it. Right. And you've got to fight for it. So if we can leave it better than it is right now, which in my mind I think we can, um, that would be the one statement I could leave behind because um, there there will be a time that you and I are gone and it's going to be up to whoever's behind us and we're seeing changes with the people that are hunting um, there's people that are doing this for the reason that I, I'm really glad they do is the organic meat I mean there's people that have never hunted before um, that are getting out and doing it. Steve Arnella takes people out that have never hunted before, and they they come back just different people. I think. Yeah. Um, and so that's an example of leave it better, you know. Um,
1: yeah. Cool. I love it. Thanks, Kent. Appreciate you coming on. You bet. All right, guys and gals. Thank you so much for listening to that episode with Kent. Ken's an incredible human being and I really appreciate his time and him sharing his talents with all of us. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out. Links are in the show notes and leave us a review on whatever platform it is that you happen to be listening to this on. It really helps me as I create content for future episodes. I look forward to the next one and until next time, make life epic.